on, on the previous um, conversation, we left Our off... Our previous guess, chapter. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, we, we talked a bit about um, how, I guess, uh, factories make shoes and, and how, how you make shoes and, you know, if there was a difference. And, and you kind of touched on that. Um, I guess, you know, one thing um, I wanted to talk about is maybe uh, leather. Um, it, you know, I, the, the leather that you use and what I, from what I've seen is is pretty nice um and you know i, I was wondering how, how do you decide to on, on the leathers you choose because you know generally you have a selection and you know there, there's so many leathers out here but you, you have a pretty curated selection so i was kind of wondering if um you wanted to talk about that and of course you know if you had something else you wanted to oh uh, sure i can we can we can touch on that or but it you know i i just generally speaking when i started doing this uh, years ago and as I progressed through the various timelines and whatnot and talking to different people, you just kind of get into a, somewhat of a, I would say, small fraternity and you find out like who's making the good stuff, who's spending time on our traditions. And once upon a time, there were some really good British tanners around uh, a couple of them have gone the way of the dinosaur like a lot of things but uh, I pretty much gravitated to uh, two specific tanneries in France that make uh, really good what they call box calf and, and some other variations on the theme but it's you know they're all time tested uh, processes that they have carried on and they just are the best quality that I can find. I mean, there are other uh, places too. There's a couple guys in uh, Italy that I uh, gravitate to as well um, just to see what they're doing and if they have some available stock or a particular color or something little different and then um the people in germany that does to do the pit tanning for the um for the insoles and outsoles and whatnot they're um about as premier as you can get and there's some other people that are uh, i think cropping up here and there but uh I, you know i've had associations with these people for a long time and you know it's that old saying if it ain't broke don't fix it so that's kind of where i hang my hat with those choices of um, raw materials okay and and sorry i it, uh, was there something else you wanted to touch um upon i know i kind of just threw you this question but it, it seemed like no i no. i mean that's it that was you know pretty uh pretty clear as to uh, where we were going with that that piece of information so uh that yeah that, i think that works Okay. Works for me, so I'm sure we'll, we'll, you know, if we have to circle around to, to that again at some point, that's fine as well. Okay. Well, um, you know, I, I think, I mean, how, well, I guess it, it. I mean, it's hard to to say, I guess, without you know actually having the leather in front of us. But you know, having been to factories and you know, um, you know, you've probably seen other leathers being used. I mean. I, I, one, I'm, I'm guessing they're not, they're not all necessarily using the same leathers and from the same places that you're using. But is there, I don't know, a, a way f 
for someone who, who actually when they have the leather in front of them to kind of maybe feel the difference or or any like you know tests that you know kind of give any indication like you know if you fold it or, or bend it and i don't know things happen or, or is there anything of that sort or you know is it something that really just accumulate through the years and you kind of just it's hard to explain you have a feel for it well i mean the the, the touchy feely part of it is certainly um always comes into play when you're doing with this uh, dealing with this uh type of materials and uh, of course as you sort of alluded to not all leathers are created equal the some people make uh leathers for very specific end uses like handbag leather is different from shoe leather shoe leather is different from upholstery leather uh, so when you kind of get into uh, associations with people who make things for high-end footwear the sources are tend to be a little more limited and um for what I would use, I mean, I'm not. There's there's lots of different leathers you can use for for footwear, men's and ladies. Uh, I just choose to go for what I consider to be good calfskin that uh, has uh, you know good what they call sort of hand to it. I don't I don't know how to describe that, but it's something that you just sort of pick up on that knowledge as you move forward, I guess, in your, in your shoemaking uh, trajectory. So that pretty much, as I said, there's uh, what we tr tend to go for. You know, you've got your, your as I said, your sole leather, your insole leathers, and then your ancillary internal components, and then you've got your calf skin and your calf lining, and they're made specifically for, or at least the stuff I use for, for high and high quality footwear and you know, there are some lesser leathers out there i wouldn't necessarily gravitate towards them as a uh, first choice unless i get a very specific request for something uh, and the one thing that comes to mind is the saltwater crocodile that some people tend to order uh, because it's the, the as the sort of reptile part what's that there's some connotations with, you know, that that's that sort of a material, right? Well, you know, uh, people, sorry, people want that mean... image associated with them, maybe. Is... Well, yeah, there. I mean, there's, you know, there's chocolate and vanilla and, I guess, different flavors in between, obviously. So, but most of my guys in the kind of footwear that I make tends to be the kind of standard bearer of my profession mm -hmm. so uh, we don't kind of go out of the box too much unless there's as i said something that's really unique that's uh well done that you know you can just kind of get your hands on even if you have to um, you know, keep it in storage for a while until that rainy day when somebody says oh i heard you carry a certain certain thing or this or that whatever and uh, i'd be interested in that so yeah you you, 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 if you have it on on hand, that's great. If not, you know, you know, hopefully where to get it. So, um, but all these things are, you know, come at a cost, obviously. Uh, so, hence that's why my particular sh shoemaking 
takes on a whole different realm as opposed to somebody in a factory who might still use good leathers, but, you know, they might use certain parts of it that, you know, may not be the best part of the skin, but, you know, they're talking about trying to get as much uh, yield out of one skin as possible because a good calf skin is quite expensive these days. So um, because it comes from reputable places it, it, you know, it carries a, a pretty hefty price tag so mm-hmm. that's what I can say about that yeah yeah well and, and um not not to get too in into that um because I know you know we want to really talk about shoes and not just focus on leather I mean w- w- one thing is that you know, I've read about you and, and, you know, even in your conversations with me is when you make shoes, you know, a Perry Eric Galino shoe is really balanced. It, I mean, obviously it's going to, to look nice, but to, to me, um, it, it looks really balanced and I, I wish it didn't sound so plain, but, uh, you know, to me, to me, uh, at least, and, and maybe for you too, that right balance is, um, I guess the difference between, when you look at something and you immediately feel like something's off and, and when you look at something, you kind of see all the great things about it versus, you know, you're immediately put off because something feels wrong. So, um, I don't know, t- to me, that balance is like pretty, pretty important. And it seems like for you, for you as well. And, um, from what I've heard and, and seen, I mean, do, do you want to, I guess, expand on maybe your philosophy or, or I guess kind of your, how you, you know, what influenced your aesthetics and, and, and all that? I would say yeah, it, it's like anything else. It just comes from experience. It comes from having conversations with your customers. Um, sometimes it's too much information, but you really have to see sort of all the nooks and crannies, you know, inside their thought processes and how they dress and whatnot and uh, whether they get real dressed up or dressed down or somewhere in between and then try to figure out how you can accommodate what it is that they're trying to capture for themselves. Uh, It doesn't always come lickety split, but generally speaking, when you have this sort of piece of leather when it's wrapped around the shape and whatnot and you've got certain style lines in certain places and whatnot you have to be able to make sure that the thing the thing the shoe the style the design it it just kind of lays in there somewhat unsuspecting and but as you were alluding to when you look at it, it just says oh that like it's really pretty it's just really sits there and just kind of does its own thing. And um, I I don't want to say it's uh, sort of serendipity, but maybe some of it is. Maybe it's just the the shoe gods sort of speaking to people like myself that do this for a living. Uh, So it's, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes into getting a design that's going to be appropriate for the individual You've got short feet, you've got long, narrow feet, you've got things on either side of that and in between. So everything, I wouldn't say, is a, is a unique challenge, but there are there are challenges out there, and you just have to be able to sit with it. Sometimes 
for a while, at least the way I do. If I design something on the wooden form that I'm building the shoe for, I might just put the design on there and just leave it sit on my workbench for a week just looking at it just to make sure every time I come back from another task that I'm doing and look at it and it looks good or it doesn't kind of something might catch my eye or I put it on the floor what's it going to look like from a distance from my height down to my feet and etc so it's again it all kind of goes back to understanding your your customer and asking the right questions and being able to work with them so that they get something that they really enjoy. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you you mentioned just, you know, taking a step back and and looking at uh, what what you've created. I've certainly recall times where I I just see you staring at, uh, you know, the, the, I guess, a try on shoe or, or, you know, when we're, testing the pattern and you know you, you're just like agonizing over like a you know you know a millimeter or two and like well, i don't see anything but like, like no 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 it's definitely off i'm gonna have to redo it redo it all so um <laughs> i always found that interesting that um uh, you know it, well that's 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 the nature of of my i guess obsessive compulsiveness of about trying to get everything to fit into that space properly and not have any kind of um, sort of uh, um, misshaped line or whatever you want to call it. So yeah, yeah, there's, there's definitely a a nitpickiness, I guess, to my, uh, my nature when it comes to doing these things. I wanted to applaud you for that. No, and I, I I mean it in a good way too. I mean, it drives me crazy sometimes, but yeah, it's just the way I do it. So. Right. Right. Because certainly I think, um, I mean, you, you mentioned that when you were, um, I guess learning the, the trade, you had worked in a, um, a, I guess shop with, you know, a few, maybe a handful of other people. Would that have happened there? Like, you know, that obsessiveness or, um, Oh yes. Yes. You, oh, get, you get some guys that, um, you work with who are just real, real fussy, uh, about things, about you know, pulling the, the materials on the forms and uh, making sure everything just lines up right. And you know, if it's not right, you gotta, you know, you gotta call it out because the last thing you want is a customer coming in here who might be even as picky or maybe more picky than you are. And you know, a lot of these people kind of know know their onions, as it were, with respect to what they're buying so yeah you get it you you you, you do what you got to do it's so as much as painful as it can be to have to uh recut some uppers or whatever you, you just have to do it so mm-hmm. no no shortcuts sometimes and, and but I, I suppose that's one of the, i guess the the benefits of working with something that's you know not necessarily factory made where it, you know, they kind of only go one way in one direction, which is, is they just make it and they don't, you know, really go backwards and try to redo anything. Um, whereas for you all, that's, um, I don't want to say common, but you kind of look at everything from both directions. Um, you know, even though you've, okay, you already built a pattern and you realize, well, the, the pattern needs working. Let me go back and, and, and redo that um, or th- those certain pieces to make it right. Um, at, at least, you know, 
that's that's one thing that's what seemed like you know worth pointing out but i don't know is that right to say or um i'm out of line um I'm not sure if I'm understanding what you're asking me. Oh, well, uh, well I guess just the, the, um, you know, going back and redoing something, um, you know, even if it's like a, it was a couple of steps ago, like, you know, you, you built the, um, I guess you, you've assembled the leathers, but you realize, oh, the, the pattern needs to be working. Well, I'm going to go back, fix the patterns, and then, you know, cut out the leathers and reassemble. But that's something that kind of only happens in, maybe a bespoke handmade type of operation, whereas factory operation, I mean. Yeah, they, they might, yeah, they might, in a factory, they probably may not catch something like that uh, because if they don't catch it early on, you can wind up with a lot of shoes that uh, are not made properly. So I just, my, I mean, my philosophy is, you know, if you're going to do it, do it right. And as painful as it could be sometimes to have to retrace your work or your pattern making or your style lines or whatever, it's in in the end, it's kind of, I mean, it's not kind of, I mean, that's, that's your signature. I mean, that's, here's, here's what I give you. This is what it is. It's got to have all the bells and whistles and then some, and it's just got to be the right stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think, um, and and you do it very, um, very well based on, I guess, you know, the, I mean, t- at least to me, you're kind of like the, the most well-known um, shoemaker in the U.S., at least. I, I mean, it seems like the way everyone brings up, you know, your name as kind of the one. Um, I mean, and, and I guess based on, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, Last maybe, shoemaker standing. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess, you know, maybe you just have the best marketing or, or whatever. I, I, I'm not really sure. But I mean, you know, one thing I seen, I've seen with kind of a smaller, um, I guess, shoe operations that kind of start up in the U.S., you know, a lot of times they say, oh, I, I apprenticed with you or I learned under Perry Arcolino. It, it's like, you know. To, as the fact, anyway, they kind of put that in there to give themselves some some credentials, I guess. You know, ha- have you yeah. had a lot of apprentices or, or people come by over the years? Uh, I would say probably ten or twelve years ago. You're getting some kind of uh, signal noise coming through the telephone. Um, oh, sorry, is, is something? Can is you hear that? Um, it's kind of like a beeping or something. I'm not necessarily getting it, but I when I can hang up and call you again. Um, maybe I'll go. Well, away. Um, it, it's going away now, so it's it's it seems fine. I don't know whether it's just some okay. kind of intermittent thing. But uh, getting back to your question about apprentices, I had a, a fair number of people through here years ago, and I would say the last person that um, spent any considerable amount of time learning shoemaking was probably. Six years ago, but they didn't go stay into the shoe business. Uh, it was just uh, something that uh, their trajectory took them someplace else. But there are a, a couple of people that I know. Uh, one fellow in, I believe, Flint, Michigan, who started a little uh, boot business uh, that I think is doing pretty well, at least the last time I spoke with him. And then there was a young woman who went down to uh, somewhere in 
someone outside of Atlanta, one of the suburbs out there, and she started a little shoe-making business as well. And although I haven't heard from her in quite a while, but somebody I ran into once upon a time, not too terribly long ago, certainly before all this uh, pandemic stuff occurred probably a year or 18 months ago, had mentioned that they had run into this young woman. Uh, maybe they had family or something down in that area of Georgia and um, got to speaking with her. So uh, so those, those are two people that I know of that uh, had some time in here with me and went on to do some good things with the, for themselves. So kudos to them. All right. I think, I mean, to be honest, I think I only remember two companies. Maybe that I just happened to stumble upon the, or maybe I was searching your name and they showed up. I, I don't know. One way or another, I, I, it seemed like uh, two is is uh, like the number I, I had found. But, you know, maybe, maybe okay. those are the exact two. I think the boot one was definitely one of them. Um, but, okay. I mean, I guess how does it feel that maybe you're, you know, you're kind of sharing your knowledge for future generations or um, and all that? I just, you know, I, I wish more I wish more people were were able to take advantage of uh, what we have to offer. And when I say we, I mean there's you know there's a fair number of guys that still make Western boots in the U.S. I don't know about actual shoe people like myself. But I mean there might be a guy in the Bay Area um, that comes to mind. But uh, that being said, I just think. While some of these uh, trades are kind of becoming, um, being embraced, I guess, uh, a little more from people who just don't have an inkling to be a, uh, you know, four-year college degree person, or if they do and they just kind of uh, get their hearts broken when they get uh, out of the university system and wind up feeling that uh, they they or their parents spent a lot of money for something that's not going to really give them the the joy that they're seeking for their um, uh, life's work. That uh, I think they they like doing certain things. There are people uh, that I know of who have been through here on a sort of temporary basis and have given up fairly quickly because of worries about, uh, you know, cutting themselves or damaging their hands or doing some, you know, bodily harm to each other, to to themselves rather with uh, sharp instruments and whatnot. And, and generally just saying, geez, I never realized this, this was so hard. This was, I think, I don't know, whether people just sort of have a romantic notion of some of these things that I do and other things as well, whether it's uh, other kinds of trades. But, um, I mean, it takes uh, somebody with a real sense of dedication for anything like what I do to stick with it for, I'd say, a minimum three years before they really start to get it. And uh, there's... uh, I can't speak to other trades, but with what I do, there's so many little nuanced issues that kind of are around that you have to um, 
really pay attention to and even myself sometimes with these little things that I know in the back of my head that I do automatically sometimes they I, I just I'm I don't know distracted or whatever you you tend to forget about them and whatnot but I uh, I, I would like to see people uh, embrace this a little more but uh, if that happens that's great if not well don't say lovey I guess that's you know why we send all of or not all of it but a lot of our manufacturing offshore because really people just don't want to do stuff like this in this country mm-hmm. yeah well i think um at least i always hear about people um you know in, in school they at least at one point they had what like those metal working or like shop classes or whatever which oh sure uh, yes which i mean, I, I mean maybe that's in only in certain section uh, sections of the u.s because there was never any such thing where i oh in my schools, um, maybe that's not a thing anymore. But it, it just seemed like you know, working with your hands was once upon a time kind of a thing. Maybe um, you would learn in school, or or maybe you know your father would like show you how to repair your car or something, and then you kind of just mm-hmm. learn from somewhere. But these days, like you just, I mean, the the one skill that they try to just teach you is learn how to use computer, which I remember growing up. That was the big thing because computers were fairly new at the time. So we had like spend classes just learning how to type on computers, et cetera, et cetera. And like, that's the, the one skill we learn these days and as kids. And that's really it. Once you know that you can, I don't know, I guess the theory is, well, you can just kind of do everything <laughs> once you get that. But of course, uh, I don't know, once, once you start owning a home or, you know, owning a car or, whatnot you realize hmm, there's a lot of things that you know i'm not prepared to do that no one no one taught me um but i don't know maybe, maybe that's one of those things that some, someday they'll get back to like teaching um you know specialized like you know physical skills like working yeah in- i mean it's you know as i said it's uh i mean there's a there's a guy actually out in lancaster county that is uh doing an online uh, shoemaking classes and I give him a lot of props for um, you know doing it he, he used to be located down in Savannah Georgia uh, I think so with an association through uh, the university down there uh, Savannah School of Design and um, you know it's, it's difficult uh, it's um, I mean classroom work is one thing and it's important that I'm not trying to minimize it by any stretch of the imagination but the other stuff the, the real life, you know, cutting and sewing and putting it together and pulling the leather, wetting it, stretching it, uh, gets to be kind of a buster, you know, so it's not uh, for the faint of heart. And there are days, uh, you know, when your hands just get really, really tired and your mind gets a little overblown and you just... You know, can't wait for the day be be over. Your your eyes are bulging because you're staring at something for so long, and uh, so it's yeah, it's not it's not easy work. Uh, it's by any stretch of the imagination, but it's it's very satisfying if it's something that you know resonates in your heart and it it kind of flows through your through your bloodstream. So that's that's the you know. Would like to see more of it, but you know whether that happens or not, it may not happen in my lifetime. I'm, you know, I'm headed into my fourth, fourth decade of doing this, so uh, it's uh, who knows, who knows where the story will end. Mm-hmm. 
Well, um, I mean, spe- speaking of, uh, I guess, the physical work, I mean, you've actually sus- sustained a few injuries just doing this, right? I mean, not, not to like... Oh, yes, yes. But, I've had yeah. I've had a, a bum shoulder and just my uh, sort of kind of carpal tunnel, repetitive stress, whatever you want to call it, in my, uh, my thumb joints. Uh, uh, it's uh, a constant battle trying to uh, keep keep my uh limbs from falling off my body so uh you do the best you can so there's scars of your dedication unfortunately but i mean it is, i mean yeah, I, yeah. It, it is like when the when i spent some time with you it was certainly i opened like wow i'm not really used to using my hands this much you know i'm always on the computer it's i don't really do any too much physical work so um it, it was yeah. eye-opening but it's yeah, but it, it's it's definitely you know a different kind of of use. I know people people who are uh, on keyboards all the time with their work. You know, they get repetitive stress syndrome as well. Uh, but it's a different. I don't know if it's a different kind of hurt. It just it's a hurt, mm-hmm. and when it when it flares up and your joints are aching, it's uh, as I said, it's a real buster. So you know. Who knew shining shoes at five years old and six years old in my father's shop years ago would <laughs> lead to all of this? Yikes! Yeah. Well, so. I mean, and I guess um, you know. When, I mean, we kind of. I hope it's not going, um, you know, jumping around too much. But I, I was kind of wondering. I mean, you, you said you were interested in shoes um, at a, like a really young age. Obviously, your father was doing that. I mean, was there ever like a plan B, like? You know, I'm, I'm not going to, if I don't do shoes, I'm going to do this? Or was it always just gung-ho from the beginning? It's just going to be shoes no matter what. Oh, I don't know whether I was ever going to be a stand-up shoemaker and do go to comedy clubs and stuff like that and do shoe jokes all night and get probably shoes thrown at me. But uh, I, it's, I you know, I honestly don't know. I, I, I guess I always liked what I did and I just still like doing it for the most part. Um, I'd like to do just more design work, uh, sort of contracting for uh, different fashion houses. But, uh, um, you know, I'm happy to make good shoes for good clients and customers. Mm So, Cool, cool. Yeah, I mean, um, I guess uh, I guess a couple um, questions about uh let's see sorry trying to see which one i'd like to ask um well i guess uh, i mean i, I kind of it was true what i mentioned like your name always shows up in the shoe um like bespoke shoemakers in, in the u.s i mean it like i mean i assume you're pretty well connected with the community i mean how how large or, or small honestly to be perfectly honest with you i i really don't know i mean yeah. i know one guy in in uh, new hampshire i think it's new hampshire or vermont i can't even remember um i've never met him in person but um you know every once in a while we might talk on the phone i think he's originally from the philadelphia area i think he's got family that still lives there but beyond him i don't really know anybody else who actually makes shoes oh okay Shoes, shoes. I mean, uh well, I should say there's that guy in San Francisco who makes shoes, uh, Frank Benaducci. But uh, beyond that, I just don't know. Boot makers, yes, but 
shoemakers. I mean, like shoe shoemakers, like what I do. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't really know anybody. I've heard that there's a couple people in New York, but um, uh, anyway. They, they could be so, someone's imagination, yeah. I guess, uh, for, for all you know. Well, I mean, it, but when you say that, it, are you including the rest of the world or are you just talking about the U.S.? I'm just talking about the United States. Okay. I mean, would you say um, bespoke shoemaking is, I mean, relatively um uh, there's more in in Europe because I think you, you mentioned a lot of um, places in Europe for for leathers. I'm guessing maybe they got a larger contingent of, of shoemakers that you know there. Uh, oh yes, I know uh, a lot more uh, people in the in the overseas because the, you know there's more of a um, there's more of a tradition there of of that, and uh, you know. As Americans, as I said, I, I think, you know, when the big wave of immigrants came here and, you know, carried their skill sets here, it was one thing. But, you know, as their children grew up and their children's children and whatnot, uh, I think they saw their parents, you know, struggled to make ends meet and put food on the table and all of that other stuff. And they just said, you know, and I, I you know, saw my mother and father do the you know run my little corner corner shop and uh, whatnot and uh, that's not something i i want to pursue i you know so we tended to push our kids to go to college and get a uh, degree and um you know then we found out that college isn't necessarily the right path for every young man or woman on in the u.s so but the shoemaking and the shoe the idea of going to the shoemaker to have your shoes made from the time you're young people i, I mean people from uh people that i know from germany says oh yes we went to you know when we were little parents took us to the shoemaker and they made our shoes or same in italy same in spain and france and and then uh, also in England. So there is uh, also, um, you know, a, a large, uh, well, a large, and I'm not exactly sure how, how large it is anymore, but the trade unions that teach people these kinds of things still exist in Europe. And I know specifically with regards to Germany, they have something like a anywhere from a three to six-year apprenticeship program and different uh, levels of uh, competency uh, until you can actually go and that work for someone. So there's still a lot of that old world stuff being done there. I mean, it's not a ton of stuff, but you know, there's certainly a fair number of people doing it and um, you know, kudos to them that they're keeping these sorts of things alive. So, but the U S not, not, not so much. As I said, bootmakers, yes, there's uh, several bootmakers out west uh, that uh, still pound it out pretty pretty well. On, um, but uh, as I said, shoemaking is uh, kind of a rare breed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, do you pay any attention to, um, I guess, what's going on? In, it seems like it's mostly Japan, but maybe I'll just say Asia um, in case there's other stuff going on that I'm not aware of. Um, because I guess they're kind of like the new internet darlings of bespoke shoemaking. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, when I was um, 
in the UK, I don't know how many years ago now this was, um, in somebody's shop um, on German Street. But um, yeah, they were, they were teaching a couple of young Japanese apprentices in, in their workshop. And yeah, things seem to have gone quite well for some of these uh, young men and women that have trained in, I don't know if they've all trained with European makers or not, but it seems like to be that was the place to go if you wanted any kind of knowledge of uh, pure bespoke making. And of course, my friend uh, in Florence, Italy, uh, who passed away several years ago. And um, so, yeah, they took that knowledge and they really ran with it and have done uh I would say a superb job uh, making shoes that are really quite elegant and I mean meticulous uh, workmanship so that's uh it's nice to that they're doing that and I know that there is supposed to be from what some people have told me who work in China that uh there's a some somewhere in whatever near shoe district uh, I know it's a huge country but they have a there's a factory there that's dedicated to just doing handmade shoes oh wow okay. uh, uh i don't I don't know the name of it. Somebody told me about it so I don't know how many couple maybe a couple of years ago said that, that that's all they did it just made shoes by hand and um that became very popular and um so, yeah, there are people who are uh, taking up the trade, which is good. Uh, I just don't know, as I said, whether or not it's going to take hold here in the States. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, American, well, I don't, I mean, I don't know. It seems like, of course, Japan is, you know, they always seem to be like the the, the country that just kind of keeps interesting, uh, you know, wacky things alive which i'm not saying is wacky but you know they were they, they were like oh of course uh that's still alive in japan so um i don't know mm-hmm. we'll see i think it, it just feels like well up, everything in america that is kind of cool i don't know kind of like i don't know yeah dies. well yeah there's 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 a whole book about that about how the 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 wave of uh japanese clothing makers see they, they just kept these trends alive from when they uh when the GIs occupied Japan after the war and they just started to see all this kind of Ivy Ivy league look, uh, they think they just refer to it as Ivy in Japan. Uh, it was just such a huge movement and how they would send uh, pickers over here uh, to just scour the basements of some of these places to, to buy authentic U S denim blue jeans uh, to bring back to Japan because they were the, the, you know, all that stuff was the rage over there for years and years. And, and the British as well. Uh, they have a, a fascination with, uh, with the British look. So that doesn't surprise me that these uh, have this uh, bent for, for wanting to bring that look and that, those making skills uh, back to their home turf. Yeah, I guess, you know, at, at least I guess I'm coming from a background of, you know, in music and um, it, you know, just certain things that are maybe are, are American. It seems like not necessarily appreciated um, 
during its run here, but then becomes super popular in other countries, like like those '60s um, Motown soul records that got really big in the mm-hmm. UK, and um, you know, like our, uh, you know, a bunch of other things. But I don't know. I don't know what it is about the U.S. We just no some, some certain yeah. things. Yeah. Well, we're kinda... we're let's face it. We can be some uh, you know trend setting, and um, yeah. you know you 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 listen to any kind of uh, interviews with some of the old British rockers and things like that, they all I talk about, well, not all of them, but a lot of them talk about how they just loved the, those, the blues, blues, uh, singers and, and, uh, guitar players, some of that old, from the deep South and all those muddy waters and all those people that just really had that certain sound that they just gravitated towards. So, yeah, the trends, uh, or definitely uh, something that uh, you know we uh, we as Americans seem to be able to provoke people to just kind of want want what we have here, and maybe it's a testament to the ability to have the creative freedom to just be able to express ourselves in many ways that right. uh, kind of makes us some respects the envy of the world, although <laughs> it could be challenged with that statement <laughs> right yeah, about now. But yeah, uh, well, anyway. I, I think, um, you know, get, getting that, you know, you're, I think you're, you're right. We're good at starting those trends is a matter of maybe like supporting them. I think sometimes we have trouble with, cause you know, I, I feel like I've, I've read many interviews where, you know, like you mentioned, um, those, you know, stacks or some other Southern uh, sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you would find, and then you would, you know, they would visit and realize people, that live there don't even realize what's in their own backyard. Like they have no idea of how, how popular mm-hmm. certain things are like in a completely different country. And that comes from, you know, where they live. So it's just, one, right. I don't know, it, it seems like support supporting things is kind of one of those things that whenever we're good at, but like you mentioned, maybe we're really good at just kind of starting things. It's just a matter of kind of sustaining. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as I said, I think, I, yeah, I think it's our, 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 the freedom that we have to move and to think and to experiment and um, just kind of have people that uh, you know create outside of the box, so to speak. I think it's just that that freedom of of what we have as a nation that inspires people to just go for it. So, and that's always been somewhat. You know, the envy of the world about uh, the United States, and that's why people want to come here. So that's uh, uh, a, a little different mindset. And it's not that people don't like Europe or Europeans or people from other nations and nationalities. It's uh, just we seem to have this uh, potpourri of, of people, and we've all come from someplace else. Everybody has, except perhaps the Native Americans. And uh, we just have this, as I said, I think this freedom to express ourselves. And uh, if we don't get it right the first time, well, we have other chances to to do it until we get it the way we want it, I think. The four decades you've been working, how many shoes do you estimate you've you've done, you've made? I have no idea. I, I have no idea. I couldn't even venture a guess off the top of my head. Wow. So... That means uh, a lot, or I would say a lot. A lot. Okay. Huh. All right then. 
we'll we'll keep that a mystery and maybe. I mean, I I, I don't I mean, we can sound vague about it. I just don't know how to put a, a specific number on it. I, I I guess in my heyday, I probably was doing about sixty-five pair a year. Wow. Okay, that is a lot. Some, something like I that. I would have guessed maybe like a, you would did maybe a third of that a year or, or I don't know, but um, wow, you were you were quite the whippersnapper, really. We were cranking point. it out. Well, I had back then I had help too, so which I don't have any longer. So that was that was then. This is now. So, oh, okay. Yeah, because okay. You know, and then I've I've also when when I've gone overseas and uh, gone to different factories over there, I've. Uh, made shoes uh, for factories that were just kind of ready-made sort of stuff. So I've uh, pecked around in that side of the shoemaking equation as well. But the uh, the handmade stuff is is still my tried and true friend. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I didn't know that that history. That at one point, I guess you had other um, folks working with you because you know when I when I I guess now, like you said, you're kind of a one-man band, one-man show. You just do everything. Yeah. So maybe that's something mm-hmm. we can talk about next time. Because I kind of sure. skipped through it, assuming it was kind of a, you know, wanted to talk more about what you're doing now as opposed to your, you know, mm-hmm. talk about your first 40 years or whatnot. So maybe um, we can, on the, okay. in the next chat, we can kind of pick up, like, your, your whole journey to, to get where you are. Okay, so uh, having said that, what is there another night this week that you think you want to do something uh, with? Any any like, night this week works for me. So just, okay, um, so I would maybe say uh, you can try Thursday again. Okay, Thursday works. Yeah, so I'll put my little note out for myself and um, whatnot. So that that probably uh, will flush out pretty well. All right, then. All right. Well, great talking to you, Barry. You still there? Yes, sorry. I, I said nope. great talking to you. Oh, okay. Okay. All right, thanks, Philip. I appreciate your time and uh, interest, and um, I'll uh, reach out to you on Thursday after work. All right, well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Good night. Take care. Bye.